Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you for the way we see your heart in scripture and your desire to help us grow, to hear from you, and to be empowered to follow you. And we pray, Lord, that you would pour out your spirit on us to that end now. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, good morning, everyone. Uh, Today we continue a sermon series called Following Jesus. And uh, some of you have asked how I uh, record the sermon. I'm still in the sanctuary, an empty sanctuary, a church, with our friend Mark Vogel in the balcony uh, recording these every Sunday morning. So thank you, Mark. Uh, But we miss you and look forward to that time when we can get back together in person. And hopefully that will come sooner rather than later. Uh, this, This series, Following Jesus, is meant to unpack the implications of Easter for us. It's, it's uh, very intentionally placed as a post-Easter series because getting our picture of Jesus right has implications. So seeing Jesus as he is now, you know, the call of Easter, uh, seeing Jesus as the living, reigning, ruling king of the universe has implications for us. We can't just move on with life as normal once we've come to understand that Jesus really is alive and really is the king he claimed to be. I mean, in that sense, this series is an invitation to those who know Christ and have put their faith in him to go farther with the Lord, to go deeper. Because Jesus came not just to save us, but to remake us in his own image that we might have, as the Bible puts it, the life that is really life and that we might partner with God in the work that he's doing in the world, the big project of salvation and renewal that God is advancing right now. So the implications of Easter, step one we hit last week, and that is when we become Christians, we get a new life. We, we don't just receive new religious ideas. Biblically speaking, We get a new life. We have been raised with Christ, says Colossians. This is the first and most important piece of following Jesus, understanding that we have received a new life. The next question comes very quickly. If we've received a new life, what does that life look like? What should it look like? What shape is my new life in Jesus to take? Now, we've already listened to the scripture for the day from Ephesians and Luke, and and they answered this question about the shape our lives should take. And the answer is that we should have a Jesus-shaped life. And I'm, I'm thankful to a friend in the larger missional discipleship movement of which we're a part for that phrase, a Jesus-shaped life. Bob Ronglian wrote a book by that title, which is very good, by the way. But let me, let me unpack that idea a bit. We should really think about the shape of our lives because there are loud voices trying to convince us that our lives should take one shape or another. And if you've been around fifth for a while, you've probably heard me use this quote. I, I know I've used it before, but it is so apt. Carl Jung, the Swiss psychiatrist and psychoanalyst, Uh, said this, the world will ask you who you are and if you do not know, the world will tell you. And boy, is that true. 
And you've sensed this, I'm sure. If, if, this, if this idea is new to you, it's a very important idea to engage. The world is trying to tell us what shape our lives should take. Or put in church lingo, the world is catechizing us right now. The world is trying to call us to be its apprentices to take on its perspective on our life. The world is catechizing our kids right now. This is everywhere. Think of it, Instagram, where everyone posts their best life now with the unspoken message that my life is awesome and yours should be too. And if it's not, well, then you might be a loser. Or a book that made the rounds about 20 years ago or so called Reviving Ophelia. It was an incisive analysis of the lies our culture tells teenage girls and the effects of those lies on teenage girls. All all that stuff, you know, the body image stuff, what real beauty is. It's terrible. The world is trying to make us conform to its image. And the world tells us, what we should get to help shape our lives. For an ongoing education class in preaching, I did some work on car advertisements and the message, uh, uh, the messaging of those advertisements. Utterly fascinating stuff. Car ads, if you really begin to look at them, fall into one of two categories. They either promise that the car will help deliver your deepest hopes and dreams, meaning if you own this car, you will finally find lasting satisfaction or that the car will help you escape the flurry and busyness of life, meaning the car will give you the rest you so desire. These ads uh, place the car as the thing that will give you satisfaction or sanctuary. And, And we just sit around and watch these ads and passively receive them, never confronting their claims. A car will deliver satisfaction and rest? And what about Augustine's thing? Our hearts will be restless, God, until they find their rest in you. The car will not give you satisfaction and rest (laughs) because only God gives real satisfaction and lasting rest. One author put it this way, the American dream pervades our values with its insistent message Study harder to get good grades that will get you into a prestigious school so that you can land a decent job and earn a big income which will help you find an attractive spouse with whom you can buy a big house and drive nice cars and raise successful children and on and on. Sooner or later, each of us have to come to the place where we challenge these forces that seek to conform us to their image we have to ask a deeper question. What shape is my life meant to be? What shape is my life meant to be? Well, the Bible has an answer to this question. Jesus has an answer to this question. We we read what the Apostle Paul wrote this morning. We are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ. Our lives are to look like Jesus' life. And it wasn't just the Apostle Paul who thought that. Jesus said it explicitly. His words are recorded in John 13. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. 
And Jesus claimed to be the living example of the life we are to live. Let me say that again because it's really true. Jesus claimed to be the living example of the life we are to live. And think of some other verses in the Bible too. Romans chapter 8 verse 9. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. You know, what, what is it that we have been predestined for? To be conformed to the image of Jesus. To be made like Christ. And following Jesus means pursuing a Jesus-shaped life. Or this from 2 Corinthians Chapter 3, verse 18. And we all who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory are being transformed into his image. You might remember the tenses of salvation, past, present, and future. This is a great example of the present tense of salvation. We are being transformed into the image of Christ. This is what salvation is. Dear friends, uh, this is from 1 John Chapter 3, verse 2. Dear friends, we are now children of God, and what we will be has not yet been made known, but we know that when Christ appears, we shall be like him, like Jesus. And following Jesus means becoming like Jesus. Big implications of Easter, right? We have new life in Christ, and that life should look increasingly like Jesus. Our lives are to look like Jesus in his incarnational presence with others, his service, his love, his endurance, his mission. Put another way, we should be growing in both the character and competence of Jesus. Our life can look more and more like Jesus is living our life on our behalf. So you might consider yourself a Christian. You might have been a Christian for a long time and you might be thinking, well, that's, that's all nice. I, I already know this, you know, that I'm, I'm supposed to be like Jesus. But, but what am I supposed to do? I, I know this, and I, I kind of feel perpetually guilty that I'm not more like Christ. So what do I do? As, as Christians, when we talk about being like Jesus, I sense that we tend to think of character qualities alone. I mean, it, it seems to me our thinking tends to go this way. Okay, I got it. Be, be more like Jesus. Okay, I'm going to try that. Uh, what, what, do I, what do I need to do? Okay, well, for starters, to be like Jesus means I need to be less bad. So, I'm going to work really hard on being less bad. Now, combating sin in our lives is a good thing. And we should all do that. But, we will not necessarily become more like Jesus simply by combating sin in our lives. One of my favorite authors is named Dallas Willard, and he, he has many brilliant insights, but for me, one of his top insights is this. He wrote this. Our lives don't look like Jesus' life because we don't do the things that Jesus did. That's so important. 
our lives don't look like Jesus' life because we don't do the things that Jesus did. So we can ask, what did Jesus do? Of course, he did many things. You could get lost in the weeds, scouring the pages of Scripture for, for this. But, but the pressing question is this. Is there anything in the Bible that can help us discern how Jesus thought about his life? How he organized his life? Meaning, how did he steward his time and energy? How did he determine where to invest his time and energy with others? How did he discern what was important? Is there anything in the Bible about that so that we could maybe use that as a template for our lives? Well, there is. And we read it this morning. And it's not just in Luke 6. It's in many other places as well. But let's look at Luke 6 again. Verse 12. One of those days, Jesus went out to a mountainside to pray and spent the night praying to God. Now, I'm not suggesting that we all stay up all night tonight praying. But Jesus did do that. I think the takeaway for us is that Jesus focused on his relationship with God. He invested intentionally in his relationship with God. This was primary for him. There was an upward dimension to his life, his relationship with God the Father. Up is this category. And then verse 13, when morning came, he, Jesus, called his disciples to him and chose 12 of them whom he also designated apostles. Jesus also focused on his relationship with his disciples. He chose them intentionally and and he chose to invest in them. This is an inward dimension of life, his relationship with those in whom he was investing in Finally, verses 17 and 18. A large crowd of his disciples was there and a great number of people from all over Judea, from Jerusalem and from the coastal region around Tyre and Sidon who had come to hear him and to be healed of their diseases. Jesus focused on his relationship with the world at large. People out there. This is an outward dimension to life. Reaching out with God's love to those in the wider world. Out There's a lot to unpack here, but in general, we see that Jesus had an approach toward balancing his life. He had a three-dimensional life in mind, up, in, and out. And he invested in each of those dimensions of life intentionally and regularly. And I submit If we keep those dimensions in mind, then we have a template by which to evaluate our lives. And I've seen people use this tool as a way to help shape their lives to look more like Jesus. And this is a tool that all of us can use. Maybe you feel like your up dimension is pretty good. You're regularly praying. You're in the Bible. You're sensing guidance from the Spirit, and you're able to act on that guidance. Maybe you feel like your out dimension is is pretty strong. You're highly invested in community work, serving in the name of Christ, and, and able to share your faith as opportunities arise and intentionally seeking out those opportunities. Maybe you feel like your in dimension is a little weak. Worship and 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 service, being out in the world as a Christian come easily to you, but you're not regularly in relationship with other Christians in whom you're investing. 
this, this investing in other Christians doesn't mean you have to have everything Christian all figured out. It's just acknowledging the truth that all of us are along the journey of faith. We're a little bit behind some people and we're a little bit ahead of other people. And all of us are called to be discipled and to disciple others. I mean, it's normal for Christians to be intentional about this investment. You need to know what to do. You need a model of discipleship. Then you need to figure out to whom the Lord might be calling you. There are very practical tools to help us in this. And and if you weren't aware of this, I'm hosting a video call on Monday nights at 7 p.m. where we're unpacking the content of the sermon and linking that to more practical tools for discipleship. So I invite you to join that uh, tomorrow night at 7. If you need a link for that, just uh, email info at fifthrc.org, F-I-F-T-H-R-C.org, and we'll send you a link to that video call. But, but the larger point here is the up, in, and out way that Jesus focused his life gives us a tool to use in, lo- in our lives as we seek to be more like Jesus. Uh, back to his book, A Jesus-Shaped Life, Bob Ronglian shares a story about some landscaping that some people in his neighborhood installed. He was out for a walk several years ago and came across a front lawn where he saw some wood and chicken wire. And he was intrigued by it. So he kind of walked up in the grass just to check out what was going on. And he realized that there were two forms where the wood held up chicken wire that had been shaped into a dolphin. There were two of them. And that a shrub had been planted underneath each of the two forms in, in the front yard. So the, you know, the vision was clear. These were the kind of shrubs that would grow up and they could be trimmed to the shape of the chicken wire. So the idea was that in a few years, there'd be two dolphins in the middle of this front yard. And he, as he was writing this book, that image came to mind and he found his way back to that house in his neighborhood to see how the dolphins turned out. One of the shrubs had grown to fill the wire form but the other shrub never grew. It was just a little stubby branch. Bob wrote this. The contrast was striking. One shrub had been transformed into a four-foot-tall, green, leafy dolphin leaping out of the grass in the middle of their front yard. The other shrub was just a bare stick enclosed by an empty wire form. we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Lord, be our vision for the shape of our lives. Amen.